Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. And we get the back view of him, and I mean, it's just a mega. 52 yards is a long shot. Uh, Magnum P.I., so yeah. we named him. No idea. Just but, a magnum. Yeah, just a magnum. Come on, Cam, last year, we, we said probably 150, mid-150. Yeah. Same Doe from the morning come out with that nine-pointer. Here, here steps out this 90-inch eight-pointer. Like, <laughs> yeah. Ah. I'm like, okay, well, there's still a buck back there grunting. Yeah. And then out steps like another 90-inch eight-pointer. Yeah. I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah. Bro. Yeah. Bro. Yeah. You're like, I'm like, deer, right there. Yeah, like And he's 30 already yards. 30 yards. Yeah. He, he was literally five yards from the base of the tree. Could have been at a buck down at 1.40 in the afternoon back there deep on public. Three does come out pretty early. It was like 2.45, 24-yard shot, sent the combat veteran. And I tell you what, man, dude, it just smoked. We always get so jacked up when the other person kills. It's just almost like we got it done. Yeah. And when you kill that doe, I was like, hell yeah, man. We come down here to Missouri. My ass Comey one more time. I'm like, is it a good buck? And he goes, yeah, real good, solid buck. I'm like, all right, boom. <laughs> and the deer just drops. Sure. Super special to me. Whitetail Legacy Podcast, bringing you back to the hunt and leaving a legacy. Baller rut. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Still coming in your ear holes, hot and heavy. Today. Ear hole ought to be full by now. Yeah, uh, there's you the, would think it goes in at, and we'll out the other one, just it's like pr- mine. Probably <laughs> 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 learning nothing, no content, exposing <laughs> at all. Um, we have another podcast guest on, um, and uh, he you're going to learn something from here. This guy today, so for sure, yeah, that uh, yeah. definitely might help out. Um, Let's get into the people that make this possible, and we're going to get into the show. Let's start off with the VIP. Yeah, guys. Um, you know, we talk a lot about a specific broadhead on here, but VIP's portfolio is growing, 
And um, if you didn't know, they have a two-blade, which is called the Veteran Broadhead, and it's available in 100, 125, and also 175 grain. They also have a four-blade version. It is called the Combat Veteran, which is available in 100, 125, and also 175. The 175 grain broadheads are also lifetime guaranteed through the bodies of them broadheads. So um, if you're looking to get into some big game slaying, you can check them out at VeteranIP.com. They have the VIP shout-out. Yeah, this week's shout-out is going to be Harold Warner. Harold served in the military for 24 years. Um, this guy's done it all, dude. He has done it all. He just read off a list, and um, I was talking to him about, well, Harold, you know, how do I classify what what you did, you know, really? Because I wanted to, you know, try to be particular. And he said, just, just tell him I did it all, you know? It's <laughs> like like the old guy said, oh, I did it all. Yeah. So I was like, all right, man. I was I just say, well, you did it all, and uh, you know that. That's how these old guys are, and um, they take a lot of pride in their service. And um, Harold, we appreciate you doing what you did, and um, you, uh, your grandson's listening, and that's how I've got in contact with you. And um, I'm glad that you've got your grandson Thomas into the outdoors, and we appreciate that. And um, I'm, you know, it's crazy how people find the show, and it's just one of them ways that people find it, and. You know, hopefully we have left a legacy with you guys, and it can continue on. For sure. I'm going to do the Exodus Trail Cam Tip of the Week. Um, this is something that I am notorious for doing because sometimes <laughs> it's just there's no way around it. You just got to do that. But um, one of the tips that we have found this year is by any means necessary, never face your trail camera south. Um, the amount of sun picks that we have gotten this year is ridiculous. Um, it seems like the tree, I'm always wanting to face it like Southwest. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? It's always Southwest. I hung one recently. Southwest. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, uh, could, three could to get six, sunned. three to five, <laughs> you're getting smoked for right, sure. Right. I was like, you know uh, what I mean? So you're going to get 400 pictures from three to five <laughs> yeah, of <laughs> so, nothing <laughs> yeah of just sun glare so think about that when you're hanging these cameras try not to face them southward facing um that's with all models i haven't found a model that doesn't get that sun glare mm-hmm. and i don't know they need to put some like three to five i need a setting for sunglasses <laughs> on this sun gun <laughs> auto shade yeah <laughs> Do you have next level deer supplements? Yeah, guys. Um, I can't reiterate enough. You know, shipping, shipping, shipping. These guys can ship right to your door. Uh, they're also available in select shields locations across the Midwest. They also have custom pallet options available if you're wanting to get into something kind of diverse for your select area. And if uh, if that's your scenario, you can get that available at nextleveldeer.com. All right, guys. Let's get into the show. All right, guys, we got Parkle McDonald on from Southern Ground Hunting. Uh, appreciate you coming on a little late tonight. Uh, it sounds like this is your normal time, so we appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this is pretty pretty normal for me. You know, once the kids go to bed or around that time is usually when we do our, our podcasts and start our work. So uh, it's no no big deal for me at all. Yeah, we've been listening to your podcast and following your brand, and uh, the last three years, you've really been knocking out of the park, and uh, that's why we wanted to have you on. When I start seeing a guy, you know, be successful and 
Maybe he's doing something a little bit different than I am. Maybe if I can't even relate to it on the ground that I'm hunting, there's always something that I can pick up. And I know there's something in that brain that you've picked up that's made you successful. And it always really intrigues me to dig in there and see if there's anything I can take take out of that. But before uh, before we get into that, just do a quick introduction to yourself uh, and your brand. Yeah, so like you said, I'm Parker McDonald. I live here uh, in northern Alabama, actually, um, transplant here. I'm from west, far west Texas. I was raised, uh, I was raised in Midland, Texas, in the Permian Basin. Um, and moved here to Alabama uh, right out of high school. I moved here and started working uh, in my career, which is uh, church ministry. I'm a worship pastor at a church here in Alabama. Um, I just oversee, I oversee worship, uh, in the, the music portion of, of the church. Uh, it's a, it's a pretty large church. It's called Daystar Church here in North Alabama. We got three campuses. And so I oversee the music portion of everything, um, for those, for those, uh, all of our campuses and, uh, live here and man, I'll be honest with you for a little bit. It was really tough to figure out how to hunt here, being raised out in West Texas, I was raised pretty much hunting, you know, leased land, big, huge, expensive deer leases. Uh, if anybody has any any exposure to Texas hunting, it's kind of a it's kind of a rich man's sport out there. You, you can't really find a ton of public land and zero public land where I lived at. So I, that was kind of a foreign thing to me. And uh, grew up hunting, but I loved it. I mean, my dad he would he would save up all year so he could afford our deer lease just because you know, I loved it so much and, and it was really a good time for us to bond. And, and we did, I mean, he's even to this day, actually yesterday, he, uh, he killed his first kayak deer, which is, yeah, I've cool. seen those pictures, man, it's freaking epic stuff right there. It yeah. was cool. We had a, we had a good time. Um, but yeah, we, we, that's just, that's our, that's our thing. You know, we always, me and dad, he's my best friend just because, you know, I mean, really and we don't have to talk about this in depth, but as a dad now, you know, I understand the sacrifices that he made to, um, to make that happen. And, um, and I, you know, I'll, I'll never take that for granted. You know, we, we, I hunt, you guys, we, we all hunt and we, it takes us away from our families and stuff. But as soon as my kids are old enough, um, I'm going to be working hard to try to make sure I'm doing the same thing that my dad did for me. But, um, so being raised out there, it was, it was just, you know, that's how I knew how to hunt was in a shooting house in a deer blind, looking at a corn feeder, um, watching deer. That's just pretty much all we did. And so I moved here and, uh, was exposed to the, the hunting club life, which is the same thing as a lease, but just a little bit different. A lot of times these hunting clubs can be super political. Um, and most of the time they can be, uh, more pressured than a lot of the public land that you hunt. And, um, but it's the same thing sitting over a food plot in a deer blind, just pretty much waiting on a deer to come to you. And, um, it was probably, I don't know, five years ago or so. It was, yeah, it was about five years ago. I just got sick and tired of it, dude. I was just like, I'm not seeing deer. This obviously is not working. I can't afford a club that's gonna actually have good deer on it 
I just, I got to figure something out. Like I, I can hunt public land and not see deer for free instead of paying six or 700 bucks for this lease that I'm not seeing deer on. I can just do it for free. And so I just started doing it, man. I, I like, I, I'd always kayak fished and we'll talk about that a little more in depth, kind of my style, but, um, I always done that and I just decided to put it to use, put the kayak to use on public land, started being successful, then started this, uh, this kind of brand that I do now with a podcast and a YouTube channel called Southern Ground Hunting, just kind of highlighting all the stuff that I'm doing and then talking to guys around the Southeast who are um, just some of the most knowledgeable people, uh, deer hunters in this area. And man, it's just been so cool. It's been super cool to get to talk to those guys. And not only that, hear about people being successful from something that they learned either from me or some of our guests that we have on. And that's just been that's just been pretty neat. I'm I'm sure you guys get to experience that same thing as well. That's one of the coolest parts is just knowing that you're helping somebody. So yeah, that's that's pretty much uh, that's pretty much in a nutshell kind of what what I do, who I am, what I'm all about. I don't know. There's been sometimes we we get a guest on here who knows a whole bunch about killing big bucks, and we kind of take the selfish turn and like, hey, what would you do if you had this deer doing this? Because <laughs> we can't seem to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> i've done that i do that specifically during turkey season i'll get turkey hunters on and i'm like all right so let's say you have a bird gobbling 200 yards and i just basically just retell a story of a deer of a bird that i didn't kill <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what should i have done that's what we do yeah that's what we do every episode <laughs> but just going back to your brand that's something that i listen to um i'm not southern based hunting at all um, I just grabbed, you know, listen to your brand because I could tell that you're a solid guy. Your co-host is a solid guy. You know, he's taking his kids hunting. You're preparing for that stage. We're kind of in the same stage of life. Mm-hmm. You guys are good people. Um, and you're having cool, just like I said, we, just, I just listened to it cause it's, there's something I could pick up from the guys, whether they're hunting in the South or not, like I said, but it's just super cool to hear how other people hunt. You know what I mean? Like, a dude dragging a buck through a swamp, you know what I mean? And going mm-hmm. in on a little canoe or, I mean, it's just radical stuff that we would never be able to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just interesting to hunt instead of, oh, yeah, I was hunting a pinch point and blah, blah, blah. You know, the regular stuff we hear here. So I wanted to have you on. And we've been playing it for a while, but it just seems to, it seems like you don't want to bother a guy in season because you know he's trying to podcast and hunt and got stuff going on. So, I figured now I'm like, all right, maybe maybe he's got a free moment now when <laughs> stuff's kind of settling down a little bit. Sure. It's funny. I mean, that's just something about the South, too. Like, I had a really good season this year. I tagged out a little bit earlier than I normally do. But um, right now, I mean, it's the heat of the rut where I'm at. Like, this is the time pretty much from – you know, December the, December the 5th, about through the, I would say the 15th, maybe you'll get some red action up through Christmas. Um, but it's like, this is our November in this part of Alabama. And I, I did a, I did a thing for Onyx, uh, last week. They, they kind of did a little interview about hunting the rut in the South. And I described it like this. It's a, it look, if you look at a rut map of Alabama, 
it looks like a hurricane, like a really bad weather system going through the state because there's just so many different colors of all the different ruts. Um, like you could, you could be here in Alabama and you could hunt the rut from October all the way through March. If the season were open, it's just, it's just so spread out. It's not like the rest of the country. And, um, so you are correct. Like I have some free time right now because I'm, I'm tagged out and pretty much done for the season, but most of the, most years I'm just, I'm, this is my week. Man. You're this ramping up right here. now, huh? This That's is yeah, crazy. This is where I'm, I'm there. This is when we're licking our wounds up here, oh, trying yeah. to <laughs> beg for a to like, find a buck. This is his November sixth down there. Could you yeah. imagine? Like, oh yeah, I got all kinds of time to podcast on November sixth. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, dude, I'm, I'm barely getting no my self podcast, and I can't <laughs> yeah. do nothing right no. now. Crazy. <laughs> but yeah, that's just crazy that you know Alabama being as skinny Spir- as a, as skinny as a state. You know, what I mean, it's yeah. not very. You know, it's not like giant like Texas or something, and you can hunt the whole yeah. entire you know months like that. So and it just being like so sporadic, like you just hear the stories like you know county to county is just totally different, and mm-hmm. it's you know odds and ends of how it plays out down there. It's random. It is. I I actually uh, I have a buck here, um, like a European mount on my wall of a buck that I killed one year in February on February the 10th, which is the last day of the season. I killed this buck and he was, he was as ruddy as a Kentucky deer in November. Like he was chasing does all over the place. And, um, that same season I killed another buck. Uh, I guess it it was a year ago today, actually. And, uh, December the 11th of that year, and that was probably as the crow flies, maybe 30 miles away. And he was, he was rutting, you know, two months earlier. And it's just, it's just crazy to state. And there's been some, some, uh, like restocking efforts years and years ago where they brought in deer from the Northern States. And so then mixed with some other strains of deer, it's just kind of created this like mutt, of a rut <laughs> nice and like that. Uh, it's cool though. it's cool you have a lot of time like i got to hunt i killed a great buck in kentucky this year and that was on uh november november the 11th so i guess a month ago today and uh that i mean I, so i got to hunt the rut then then i got to hunt the rut here in alabama it's just it's just super cool you don't you don't have to sacrifice you know, if you want to go, if, if a Southern guy wants to go on an out-of-state hunt in, you know, a big buck state, Ohio, Kentucky, Nebraska, whatever, one of the Midwest states or, or whatever, they can do that and not have to sacrifice their own rut here. Yeah, that's super big. nice. Yeah, go up there and... I'm going to say, I think that would be better in this situation than us trying to go down south, you know what I mean? Because, like, yeah. you're here hunting hard, and then you get your ass kicked or whatever, you, like, you don't get it done. Like... It's gonna take a lot to go to go down yeah. south, and yeah. like us us going to Alabama right now is like probably not gonna yeah. happen. Yeah. You just talked your wife into sixteen straight days hunting here. You're like, yeah. all right, babe, I'm gonna go to Alabama for a week. <laughs> be real, like, yeah. all right, the house would be fucking it's, empty by the time you get home. <laughs> and statistically, you're gonna come home empty-handed because Alabama's. There's a reason why you don't hear about a whole lot of people traveling to Alabama to kill a deer like it's just 
Yeah, it's, I hear zero hard. about Alabama. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not really a. It's not a, a destination whitetail state. You know, it's it's good, and I you know I can I can hunt it well because I I live here. You know, I, this is I know how to hunt here. Oklahoma is becoming mm. like a pretty solid state. Yeah, like Alabama, there's like a solid 160s 11 pointer, and then I don't hear nothing. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, there every once in a while you'll find a big buck that gets killed out here. Um, and and what I told you, a lot of in my area, a lot of the deer like that, the big 160s. You know, there was a 200 inch deer that got shot with a muzzleloader uh, probably five or six years ago off public land out here and it's those michigan strain those northern strain of whitetails that they brought in and their genetics have just stayed and um and they say you can tell by the a lot of times by the antlers like the color of the antlers if they're like that really super dark color a lot of times that's going to be the northern strain of whitetail and then the the deer that have like the white more white antlers or lighter colored are going to be more of a native uh, whitetail here. So um, there's a lot of theories on it. I mean, I, I can't tell you that that's a hundred percent, but um, it, it seems to hold pretty true when you see one of those big giant bruisers get killed out here. Yeah. I didn't even know that they chipped deer down there. I didn't know that at all. Yeah. I want to say it was in like, it was like a long time ago, like 50 years ago or something like that. It yeah, was a long time ago. The one thing that I had heard is that it just kind of did the whitetail landscape of the northern, you know, just the northern part, and they try to get them down there, and then whatever yeah. stuck has stuck. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I could see but the genetics holding out for a long time. You know, if they just keep breeding and right, keep going I mean, and going and going. It takes a special breed to stay down there, and you know, as as warm as as warm as it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super warm, but they also say that. Alabama um, has one of the highest deer densities in the country, which, I mean, you can look it up on a, in a lot of places. I, I, I don't, I don't know what the actual numbers are, but um, I've looked it up in within this year before. And I mean, Alabama's up there in deer density. The problem is, is that it's not, a lot of it is not, you're just not going to see them. So, when I've been, you know, hunting ag land in Kentucky, if a deer comes in with it, if, if, if there's a deer within, you know, 300, 400 yards, in a and you're hunting just a big open, you know, river bottom where you can see for a, a long ways, or you're hunting a big, a big field or something like that, you're going to see it. In Alabama, you could literally have a deer within 50 yards that you never even knew existed. Because it's so, there's so much, it's so thick. Um, a lot of the pines and stuff that we have here, the understory is so thick that you just can't see. Um, and then, like where I live, the the terrain is so intense and so um, rugged that, I mean, a deer could be 50 yards away in, so, in a different drainage ditch that you don't, you can't see. And it, you'll never, you'll never see it. So it's just while the deer density is good i mean it's healthy i would say i would say our buck to doe ratio is probably a little jacked up but um the 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 density is pretty solid in a lot of the state it still makes it very hard to hunt and um the the hunting pressure is super high like we have a lot of hunters in the state too 
which is typical of the South. You know, the South has a lot of hunters. Yeah, so, sure. Um, what is it, it? Makes it tough. What does your guys' rifle season look like down there? Oh my God, dude, it's so long. Like our rifle season where I hunt opened up. Uh, well, well, the statewide opener for a rifle is like November the fifteenth, and it runs through February the tenth. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you have, and then the the bow season opens up October the fifteenth. Um, and you God, can that's a for, long time. For rifle season. It's, it is. It's a long rifle season, and for years out here, I mean, it just was changed within the decade. You could kill a buck and a doe per day in Alabama. <laughs> wow. But I mean, yeah. we we got listeners in Georgia that I mean, it opens up rifle mid yeah. early October and goes forever a long way a long way. <laughs> yeah. a long yes. way. I think there's I think their rifle season ends. I used to live in Georgia. I lived in Georgia for about 2 years and I want to say that it ends like at sometime like January the 10th or 12th or something like that. I may be wrong about that, but there it opens so early. It opens in October. Yeah, so I mean, you got a month of solid bow hunting and then after that, it's free for all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crazy. So, I mean, what we get, the thing that we get that's pretty good is most of our WMAs out here are um are going to be bow only most of the time and then they have like specific rifle hunt weeks so you can't just hunt with a rifle all season long out there that, um, that probably now, eliminates a lot of the hunters too you know I mean, yeah guys are like well i'm it gonna does. go somewhere else where i can hunt with a rifle it does so i actually had uh zach Farrenball and aaron warburton on the show from the hunting public and mm-hmm. they came and hunted a, a wma here a couple years ago and one of the things that they said they were surprised about was that they came out when it was not a gun a gun hunt. There was a gun hunt, I think, that had just happened or it was just about to happen or something. I think it just happened out there. So they were super surprised that they were like, yeah, we pretty much had the place all to ourselves. And everybody always talks about how bad the hunting pressure is out here. And we had it all to ourselves. Well, but they also only saw like one buck. They didn't see very many deer on that trip at all because the week that the rifle season actually or the rifle hunt happened, that place got raped. Like <laughs> there was just people everywhere. So yeah, you can get it to yourself, but if it's rifle season, there's a good chance it's going to take quite a while for the deer population to kind of go back to its normal patterns, you know, a normal way. Because man, these these guys out here they show no mercy when it comes to a a rifle hunt on a WMA. Yeah, that's kind of kind of funny that you say that. Um, we had just kind of tr- transitioned our cams back to public, and um, you know, through the both of our gun seasons, you know, one is three days, one is four days. Got muzzleloader coming up, so um, we're trying to see what's out there still alive, and um, you know, it gets it gets hit pretty hard. And, you know, we're just out there trying to see what's still alive and trying to make it through late season, but... Um, definitely it, not as good as it was. Yeah, definitely, definitely not as good as it was, and we, we need some we need some cold weather, some super cold. It's been, you know, 40 to 50 here. We need, you know, 15 to 25 to really see if where we put these cams is going to hold true to where we can hunt. 
Well, and one cool thing about living here is um, if I were in that same situation, there, depending on where you go, there's really not a late season. Like you can travel to a different part of the state and not have to deal with late season. Like I could go to South Alabama here, you know, from Christmas till February, till the end of the season and experience a pretty good rut down that's, there. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. So, so you don't really, you don't really have to worry about that. Now where I hunt, I'll tell you this, like if you're, if you're going to kind of pigeonhole yourself into one area, um, I hunt big woods, mountain terrain. Um, and once the rut's over, the freaking deer just disappear. Like they're nowhere to be found. You're not going to find another buck. More than likely. I mean, you, you might, you might look into one or whatever, but there's really no way to, to pattern them. They don't do anything normal. It's like they just crawl into a, <laughs> into a hole and you never see them again for the rest of the season. Um, and that, that's, that's difficult. Like if you're going to hunt in the big woods here in Alabama, by the rut, you better be done be, or before the rut's over. You better be done. Cause it's going to, once it's over, it just freaking shuts off like nothing else. It's crazy. Yeah, I could see yeah. with you getting no cold weather that once they're done, they're pretty much nocturnal and going back to there's a lot of people out here. I'm just going to hide out. <laughs> yeah. I ain't got to get up because well, it ain't cold. You know what I mean? And I also feel like there's a lot of people here that think the same way, you know, but they might not have access to the food or to where, you know, the deer are, period. So. Right. And, and, and what you're, what you said about food is, is the biggest thing. So during the early season and an archery season here, um, you can find deer because you've got green stuff. You can, you can find their food sources. They got acorns on the ground. So you can find that food source, which is huge. And then you have the rut right after that. Once that's over, once the rut's over, acorns are pretty much gone. Um, if you don't have access to some type of food source, you know, even here in Alabama, it's legal to bait. You can hunt over a corn pile. If I were going to be hunting late season here in the South, I would make sure that I have some type of crop or a pile of corn of yellow acorns out there that I can hunt because that's where the deer are going to be at. Cause they're looking for those easy food sources um, during that time of the season. I wouldn't, I wouldn't give a corn pile probably at the time of day any other time during the season if I'm going out and trying to kill a buck. But during the late season, I mean, that might be your only hope to find a deer is by hunting over a bait pile. Or if you've got some type of food plot or, you know, standing corn or soybeans or something like that, which we don't have a lot of. There's none of that on the public pieces that I hunt. So because I have – it's just all big woods – that's part of the reason why they're gone. I mean, these deer are all leaving and going to the private land where they've got corn piles and food plots and stuff like that. And, uh, that's a, I mean, that's a, that's my theory anyways. I don't know that it, it would hold up in court, but it's my theory. Oh yeah. I could definitely, you know, agree with that, that there's, we have, we have pieces like that even here is once the crops are picked out, they just vacate and they go South yeah. where there's, you know, they're either not chisel plowing their fields or there's a lot more timber. And uh, so I could see down there, those deer might travel a very long way late season where here, like they're traveling two or three miles, you know, down there, they might travel five, six, seven miles to get to somewhere where there's ag. 
And where they, if there's nothing there, they're going to leave. And just like here, we see like after Christmas, a lot of guys give up. And where there is standing ag, there's a lot of deer on it. And they start daylighting again. And you get cold weather. And you got, you know, two weeks where you can be like, okay, I can get after these deer. You know, the last two weeks of season because everybody's done. No one's thinking about deer hunting. And then those deer already had, you know, the, a, a month, you know, of, of a break. You know what I mean? And they're back to... I got to get on some food, and then I've had pretty good success late season I, on public land. I feel like most guys are like, okay, I'll give it till Christmas. Mm-hmm. I'll give it till Christmas. After Christmas, I'm gone. That's that's the very few guys. I, I feel like yeah, it, second it's, gun. It's very few. Yeah, yeah, after second gun, you are just There's very few guys wrecked. out there. Yeah. You've already, if you hunt, then, even hunt hard, you put Yeah, you got guys. guys who be like, well, I'll give it till Christmas. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I'm out there the last day. I got to yeah, set the I mean, last day. I've set the last day since I can remember. <laughs> I had to set the last day because I'm just like, I cannot set, you know, I can't do this for so long. I'm setting the last day. I don't care if it's on a Thursday. <laughs> you got to set the last day, even if you're for out sure. there for two hours in the evening. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing, one of the things that you guys have going for you is a lot of the northern and midwestern states have a, a pretty um, conservative uh, buck tag system or whatever. And ours is not in a lot of in a lot of the state or a lot of the the southeast really. Here in Alabama, like I said, you used to be able to kill a buck and a doe a day. You can still in a, in a lot of the zones here, you can still kill a doe every day. Um, and statewide, you can kill a, a a doe with a bow every day or with archery equipment. But we only get uh, three buck tags now, which is super liberal still. I mean, when you think about the rest of the country, you know, a lot of these states only get one or two and they'll spread them out. You know, like I hunted Missouri this year and um, you get like I think you get like your two buck tags, but only one of the bucks can be killed before like November or something. It's just like. It's a little bit confusing, but y'all have different seasons where you can buy different tags in in a lot of the a lot of the northern and midwestern states. Where ours is just like, if I wanted to kill all three of my bucks on back to back days, I could do that. Um, but people don't. I mean, you kill one buck, and and I'm guilty of this myself. But a lot of the mentality is, you know, I get one, I get three buck tags, so I'll have a burner tag where I can you know, my first buck of the year, I might shoot, you know, a smaller deer or whatever. And so, you know, that, that kind of changes things. I think in States like Kentucky, for example, that's where I've, I've, that's where most of my out of state hunting has taken place is in Kentucky and you get one buck tag. So you're a lot less likely to kill a small buck. If you've got only one tag, Um, especially as a res, a resident there, you know, Man, and you imagine someone tags. killing that velvet season in Kentucky and you get one tag. <laughs> You're done for the year. Okay. Yeah. God. That, I mean, that would suck. Yeah, that would suck. I hate that. Yeah. I'd, you'd have to go out of state just because you'd be like, man, I can't hunt like at all. Like, I mean, that'd be terrible. So, yeah, we're a yeah. two-buck state here, so we, I do the same thing. I'll shoot a solid buck, first buck, and then the second tag, I'm always after something, you know giant legendary huge and i've done that for the past like six or seven years you know what i mean so 
Um, but we can. Can you kill three bucks with a rifle there? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. You can kill all with a rifle, what? all with a bow. It, it doesn't matter. He he said, "Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Yeah. Well, man, uh, it's, you're uh, it's pretty intense. Yeah, I, that's insane, man. Three with a rifle. That." I, it'd be really hard not to go kill three bucks. You know, you would hunt until you had three bucks down. Right. If we yeah. could kill three bucks here, you'd be like, I got two bucks. I'm going to go out and give her a shot <laughs> oh, with an old rifle. Shit. You know what I mean? So, be but, looking well, for an absolute just. <laughs> I will Let's... say for most people here, it's really hard to kill three bucks with a rifle. Um, Like, and that's one of the, like, for me, I'm just used to this. You know, I'm used to, I'm used to that, you know, Three, you get three bucks or whatever. I know it seems a little bit foreign to a lot of a lot of other states, and being able to do all that with a rifle. But like, still, even here in Alabama, where our our bag limit is pretty liberal, it's still not easy. Like, it's not easy. I, I have friends that live in Missouri and stuff, and I've I've hunted a lot of these states where if I could hunt with a rifle, I mean, you'd kill a dang freaking booner every year. You know, like. Um, it's just not the case here in Alabama. Like we just don't have the, it, it's, it's a lot harder. Like I said before, it's a lot harder to hunt. And, um, most people are not willing to go out and do kind of the work that it takes to, to go out and find them, especially on public, especially on public, on private it, things could be a little bit different. But in my experience, I don't know very many people that tag out here in Alabama, even on private land. It'd be tough to tag people. out if you're trying to kill yeah. solid bucks. Right. Finding one solid buck even here and getting on them and killing them is tough. You know what I mean? Let alone doing it three times. So, yeah, just because you know, like three deer, you know, you're hurting your chances for next year. Yeah, like, at you know, some if you're point, on at some ground, point, you're going to be like hindering that. Mm-hmm. Like I killed three solid bucks this year. That's a lot. Yeah. Less okay. Yeah. Three okay. Bucks next year, year. Next year. What am I going to expect? Yeah. Probably not that. Yeah. yeah. So you you do a lot of kayak hunting, and that's something that we we think is pretty awesome. The videos and pictures are sweet, and um, just go ahead and go you know into the reason why you started doing that, and uh, why you think that's made you more successful. Yeah, so um, the the story of how I actually got into it was kind of funny. Like I said earlier, it was when I when I first made the decision to hunt public land, I was kind of like, well, I could go and not see deer for free on public. And then it, it just kind of was a random occurrence. I bought a an SUV. I'd always driven a truck, um, bought an SUV, and it was during the summer, and I didn't have any way to get my kayak to the water to fish it's a bass fish that's what i was really trying to do and so i was like well i'll just go out and buy this trailer so i bought like this big freaking ski boat trailer for 100 bucks from a guy i just saw it sitting on his on his yard um and i was like yeah that'll work you know 100 bucks but i had this little bitty tiny kayak on this giant trailer and so my mind just started working like i like to diy a lot of stuff especially with kayaks and my mind just started working. I was like, I could put like a rack here. I could put a toolbox right here and basically just make a trailer that also works as my kayak trailer. And, and then, uh, I was like, I could put like a rack, like one of the, the trailer hitch, you know, little bucket racks that you can put on there. It's like, I could put that right there to haul stuff. And then I started thinking, I was like, I could haul deer on that. I was like, man, 
maybe I could public land hunt with my kayak and use this awesome trailer that I'm building to like, it, it'd be just like super cool. And so I got Onyx. I literally bought Onyx that day and I started looking up some of the public land around me and I was like, I could, I could hunt that with a kayak that shows up as, as public. I can hunt that with a kayak. And then it just was freaking, uh, it spiraled from there. It was like, yeah, this is, all, this is what I'm doing. I'm not getting on a hunting club. I'm not spending any money doing that. And the first day of the season, I saw a deer and I was just jacked out of my mind. I was like, I freaking saw a deer on public land the first, the first day of the season using this kayak. And so I just kept doing it and eventually killed my first deer and paddled it out. Probably three weeks into the season, I killed a doe and paddled it out. And dude, I'm telling you from then that experience of there's, it's really, it's not anything crazy, you know, I mean, most people have some way of transporting a deer from the field to their truck. And for most people, it's a four wheeler or side by side, and they don't really think anything of that. But when you put it on the kayak and you've got this, you're just surrounded by water and it's, you're just out there by yourself. It's just like, it's just magical. Like I can't, I can't describe it. And some people might do it and be like, yeah, that was stupid. That didn't really do anything for me. But for me, it like, it freaking lit me up, man. I was so fired up. What if there's something like primal with like a canoe, like way back in our ancestors where we would throw our, you know, what we killed in a canoe and paddle it back home. So just like, just like hunting in general, like, gets that primal instinct or like stalking something. I don't care if it's a rabbit <laughs> right. or like your cat and you're trying to sneak up on it. <laughs> when you're stalking something, there's something primal going oh, yeah. on. Oh yeah, 100%. If you're trying to scare your wife in the bathroom and you're like sneaking up, there's something that's going on in your brain that's like, you know. And I wonder if that's what happens when you throw something at a boat. It's just like some primal yeah. instinct that you're like you know, this is what your ancestor did and just put something in your brain that releases endorphins. Like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing right now. You know right, what I mean? Right. Yeah. There's that. And then there's like the, there's the accomplishment. Like there's the things that you don't think about when you think about kayak hunting or just hunting by water access in the first place. One of them is like fog and being out there in the dark and, like Ooh, when yeah, you're going be, in early in the morning, it's that'd be foggy. rough as shit. I never thought about kayaking like, in right, the we're dark. Close, foggy. Be like, where the hell am I at right Dude, now? It's that accomplishment. Like you, for a lot of guys, you're getting out of your truck and you're walking a mile or whatever on public, and that's cool. You know, like I'm, I'm all about it. That's a fun way to hunt too. But it adds another aspect whenever you're having to paddle in the dark. There's nobody around. And it's also like a, it's like an adrenaline rush too, because um, like it's dangerous. Every time you go out there, if you fall in the water and it's 30 degrees outside, you fall in, your boots fill up with water. um, You you better be wearing a life jacket. Like, and if you're doing it right, there shouldn't be anybody really around to hear you scream if you fall in. (laughs) And so like, there's that aspect. It's like, it's kind of scary every time you do it. And that first, that first season, man, when I was doing it, it was just like, okay, chill out, Parker. Like, just, just take a breath, relax. Like, don't freak out. You're okay. There's nothing going to get you. And then while you're out there and it's foggy and you can't see anything and the moon is like 
you can see the moon shining and it's just kind of spooky and you instantly start thinking about every scary movie you've ever watched. There's a shark in this <laughs> river, I guarantee it. <laughs> yeah. Like there's no other time that you ever believe in the Loch Ness monster and then all of a sudden, you know, you're out there by yourself. You're like, well, what if it's real? You know? And yeah, for sure. So there's there's just a lot of like mental things with it. If and you so walk the- into the woods at night with a flashlight and you don't turn around and do one check on the way to your stand, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, <laughs> you're you. ready to be dead. Yeah, <laughs> something. You got to make sure but nothing's it, following you. Just it's like that. Like all of that added together when you finally make it happen and you're paddling out of the woods with a deer in your, in your kayak with you or your canoe or whatever, like it just all kind of just comes together that moment, you know, where you're just like, Holy cow, this is awesome. And actually that first season was the first year, that first season of hunting a hundred percent public land was the first year that I ever tagged out in Alabama. And, um, I tagged out, uh december that was the year yeah that was uh december the 13th i think is when i I tagged out that year and uh tagged out with a really good eight point that i got here on the wall um and and you know for my first year of doing it i wasn't like i wasn't picky about anything i was like i'll shoot whatever you know i'm just trying to kill deer on public that's my that's my goal and so i shot two small bucks i saw i shot uh two two or three does and then three bucks. And that was that season. And that was when I was just like, man, I don't think I'm ever going to want to hunt any other way. Like there's so much, uh, excitement that happens in this style of hunting. Like I don't think I want to hunt any other way. And so the other aspect of it is that I'm getting away from the pressure that I was telling you about. Um, especially on like national forest land, where is where I spend most of my time and national forest land, you can hunt pretty much it's statewide season. So I can hunt with a rifle from the time rifle season opens till the time it's over. It doesn't work the same way as like a WMA does. So I, it's statewide laws. I can hunt with a rifle whenever I want. Um, I can hunt with a bow whenever I want. Um, I don't have nearly the, the rules and regulations that I have on a WMA. And so um, once I started, you know, putting a lot of this stuff together and kind of developing my hunting style. Um, I was also getting away from pretty much anybody. That was five years ago. And I have never, let me, let me think about this in my home area. I have never had anybody walk in on me. Not one time. I've never, never had a flashlight show up. Never had somebody come in on me. I mean, it's been, I've had it pretty much all to myself because I'm getting away from everybody and I'm doing more work um, that a lot of people for whatever reason just aren't willing to do. So uh, that part's been super cool. You know, a lot of the horror stories that you hear about public land, I just don't really have to deal with because I just put a little bit more effort into it. And I, it's just never been an issue that I've ever had. Yeah. That that's pretty incredible. (laughs) Like, you know, Cody and I feel really confident in setting up in places that we feel like, we've eliminated 90% of the people that are going to be out there hunting. And, um, I will say this year we did have, um, more hunter encounters than, you know, normal. But when you, when you break down and you talk to that guy at the truck or, you know, after the hunt or through text message or however it may be, 
you find out that that guy is trying to eliminate 90% of the hunters himself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you two have just run into each other along the process. And um, to, to, to run into a guy that's, you know, out there trying to do the same as you is, is actually pretty cool in, in my <laughs> mind because, you know, you guys have the same drive to be successful. And, and usually, you know, you guys is whatever you guys are going to shoot is going to be on the same line as, you know, the, the other one. And, um, it's pretty cool to just be out there with another sportsman and to maybe see what he's doing. And like we've done so many times is, you know, learn from that other guy or get in communication and, you know, learn from each other about a specific deer or just how the deer are moving throughout the area. Yeah. So we, we do that here too. Like there's a few guys that hunt like I hunt out here and a lot of them use boats and stuff. Um, and I've run into a few of them, you know, just at the launches and stuff. And we pretty well have a, have a good networking system. Like every one of us has a lot of respect for each other because we all know what it takes to hunt. Not only are you doing this, like not only are you hunting via water, you're also hunting mountains via water. So pretty much, I mean, you have the work that it takes to, you know, get your boat out and, you know, paddle or, you know, boat in the, in the foggy water or whatever at dark, you have all that. But then you also have the terrain that you have to deal with to get to your actual spots and, you know, lakes and, and, and water systems are usually going to be at the lowest elevation. So to get out of the water, you're going to be going straight up to get to anywhere that's worth hunting. Mm -hmm. And, and so we all have a really good high respect level for each other. We know what it takes. You know, sometimes we'll have a new guy that shows up and you're like, who the heck is this? And, um, and it takes a little while, but it's one of those deals where for us, we kind of treat it. We really kind of treat it like a hunting club sort of, or at least, you know, this is just our big, you know, several thousand acre lease that we have all to ourselves. And, um, if one guy shows up and, He's like trying to get all this information and he, he may come out there like one or two times. Like we're going to be like, nah, <laughs> like we're not going to make it easy for him regardless, you know, but right. um, if somebody like there's a new guy that showed up this year at one of the launches and he's a super nice kid and uh, he's young. He's not been hunting for a very long time, but the dude has put in some freaking effort. And so at first I was kind of like, you know, just kind of stand back and wait and run into him a couple of times. And, and, uh, you know, he's nice enough, dude. Um, actually knew who I was. He, I think, yeah, I think he actually figured out where I was hunting at, um, from watching some of my videos and, uh, that's fine. I mean, it's a risk I take, I guess, but, um, started showing up and I talked to him again the other day and, it was kind of one of those deals where like, that was the moment where I was like, all right, dude, well, let me get your number. We'll share some information and, uh, you know, help, help each other out, you know? And so that's I, I do run into people at, at the launches and stuff, but never at the rant or in the woods because, you know, they're, all of us are really trying to help each other. We all have, like you said, we all have the same mindset. Like we're there to get away from people. Um, and so we, that's, that's just kind of the way we've treated it. Yeah. I, I was, I would classify your guys' launches as kind of Cody and I like starting to bike in to our spot. You know, we get a bike in a mile 
regardless, <laughs> I mean, to get to any timber that is good, you got to bike in a mile and then you got to hike almost a mile. So, um, at the, at, at the end of the hunts, you know, we're back at the truck and over the last couple of years, we've kind of struck in a good friendship with, with a couple guys and, uh, you know, just, I think everybody's being pretty truthful at the truck about what they're seeing and stuff. And if we have a slow hunt, I think pretty much everybody else is having a slow hunt. And everybody if we have a good hunt. Everybody how knows sh- how shitty that bike-in is. Oh, yeah. It's just like, like the paddling for a kayak. They're yeah, like, just, just they're like, like this dude just did all the crap that I did to get back in there. Exactly. Like, I'm going to tell yeah. this guy, like, yeah. hey, I seen, it was bullshit back yeah, there. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? You know, was, I had bullshit. This. You probably had bullshit. Yeah, so I feel like there's, like, a level of respect that you give the guy just because you know yeah. what he's done to be successful. Exactly. Just like Parker was talking about with the launch and like, you know, yeah. this guy's paddling back there in the dark in the foggy ass water. Yeah. You know, so you if, already like, they already you already got street tr- cred. You know yeah. I mean? If you get back to the truck at the yeah. same time, like, Hey bro, how'd it go? Like, yeah. I just seen you paddle in a f- mile. These, yeah. I mean, like, this is our, this is my people, you know? Yeah. Like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, like you, this is the guys that you want to, you want your families to get together at the barbecue so you can actually sit around and talk about the kind of hunting you want <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, don't, I mean, I don't want to talk to the guy that's like, Oh, you killed a deer. Well, check out this deer that I killed. I've been watching him for five years coming to my, coming to my feeder and blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, okay. You know, that's cool. I'm happy for that. I, I like doing that too. If I could, if I had the money and the resources, crap, I might do that myself. But at this point, that's not really, I like, we're not going to have a lot in common, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're not going to share a lot of the same, uh, I guess, stories and like where my deer may have been a hundred inch eight point and his deer might have been a hundred and fifty inch twelve point. Um, the appreciation is going to be a little different. Yes, exactly. You know, I, I just, and that's not to say anything about any style of hunting. I'm, I believe that, you know, a guy who hunts on a high fence, for example, um, some hard work happens somewhere to make that high fence possible, right? I mean, the high fence operations are not cheap. Somebody worked their tail off to get the money that it took to buy that property and blah, blah, blah. You know, that I can appreciate that. Um, for me, you know, my 100-inch, 115-inch eight-point that I kill, I work my butt off in that moment to go and find him. Nobody managed him. I wasn't feeding him. I wasn't doing any of that stuff. I went and I figured it out how to do it. It is, it's a different game, but it's within the same, it's within the same sport and, and we can all learn to get along, you know, whether, whether or not you agree with high fence hunting or whatever, um, or, you know, creating, you know, goofy racked genetics that score 450 inches or whatever you want to do. You have to understand that hard work happens somewhere to get to that point. And for that, I can, I can respect any of it. You know, I can, I can, because hard work deserves respect in my opinion. And, um, while I may not care for the style of hunting or the way that they hunt, or it may not relate to me, I can still appreciate it. Yeah. I'm the same way. That's always the private, you know, public, you know, well, I planted food plots and I've you know, followed this deer for three years and I put X amount of hunts in on him and hasn't spooked him. And, 
you know, there's a lot of hard work there, but there's also the hard work the guy had no pictures of a buck and he went into public and killed him. You know what I mean? So there's work everywhere, just different types of work. You know what I mean? And, Mm -hmm. but I do believe that public land deer are kind of a different creature than private land deer just because they encounter so many more people. And I think it's like, just like us, if you, if you talk to someone from the country, they're a little bit more laid back. You know, if you talk to someone from the city, they're kind of edgy, faster. It's just genetics. You know what I mean? You just get, it's just Mm -hmm. bred into you over time. And I feel like on public land, it's just the genetics are to be a little bit more edgy of a deer. You know what I mean? To, be a little bit yeah. more cautious, a little bit more skeptical of movement. Saying, it is like a ten to fifteen percent increase in like senses. Like, yeah. oh shit, okay. Yeah, I mean, All it's right. just genetic. You know, what I mean, just over time, those does, you know, learn and then they they breed and they have does and they have does and they have, you know, it just over time this shit just gets smarter and smarter and that smarter. Nobody's out there. killing. Yeah, no one. You know, when you go that deep. Uh, you know, and a kayak and stuff, there's probably very, like around here, nobody kills does where we hunt. Nobody. Yeah. You know what I mean? So those does are eight, nine years old. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're giant. <laughs> They've seen it all. Does. You know what I mean? And it's hard to fool those does. You can get them by a couple of times, but then they see you in the tree. You might as well leave that tree because the next time they come through there, you're you're screwed. You know what I mean? They they're got looking at from 150 yards. Yeah, they they're like, uh, yep, yep, he's in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they the deer out here in a lot of the more pressured areas, they come out with their head up, you know, looking. Yeah. To see if there's somebody there, you know, blows just... me away. And then we go to our private ground. We had a little bit of piece of private we could hunt. Homie cut down a tree limb, and there was a two and a half year old buck eating the bush, eating the leaves off the branch. He just cut down three foot in front of the tree, literally <laughs> six foot from the actual cut. Yeah, I, mean, I was, like, was I was like, "What is going?" We just hunted on private or public for like ten days, yeah. and we went to private. We we're like, "What is going on right now?" <laughs> and then, you know, you see the deer stand up. 120 yards away, come across the creek through the timber draw. Yeah. R- right out into the f- green field, feeds like, up right to a scrape. We're like 15 and foot then, high. And then like, he hits the tree limb. Yeah. <laughs> then he's like, okay. eating all eating right. the bush. You're like, all right. Like, all right. Up to this point, I was okay. After he eats that, yeah. three foot away from where my hand was on the cut, I'm. Yeah, I don't, I don't it's a different breed of animal. I have no idea what to say. Out there, you see a spike buck, and he blows at you. Yeah. You're like, what is going spike on? Can't right get now? within 100 yeah. yards of a spike buck, bro. <laughs> You're like, what's going on right now? <laughs> oh. But yeah, I mean, kayaking in, that that's something we talked about doing, but there's just not a lot of public around here with water. It's just not, not you know. And What if you floated down the river in a kayak? Would that be hunting? You, I don't know if you can, I don't know if it's legal in Illinois if you shoot out of a kayak. So I know you can't shoot a deer in the water. Could you shoot out of? The water? <laughs> I don't know. You have to look the regulations. There's there's some states that will allow it. So here in Alabama, you can actually shoot from your boat as long as it is not in like forward motion or or something like that it's like it can't be in forward motion and if it has a an in like a motor on it it has to be shut off so it can't be in use 
So, I mean, you would kind of use your duck hunting regulations, I would Mm. think. So if you're allowed to hunt ducks from a boat, like you probably cannot hunt, hunt them with the motor running. Um, But a lot of people hunt ducks from a boat, you know, there's really, I mean, and and in that case, you're shooting up in the air. It's like, it's a little more dangerous to me Mm -hmm. um, if you're going to go as far as safety. But this year I actually shot a turkey this past spring out of my kayak um on accident i wasn't like hunting from my kayak on purpose uh i'd been working these birds all morning long in this big open field that was public and they crossed into a small little strip of private land so i got back in my boat and uh i paddled the creek out to the main river and then went to another creek that came off of the river basically trying to cut these turkeys off and there were two toms in the group and then a crap ton of hens. So when I got to that other Creek, I could actually see the field that they crossed over into and they were standing in it like 50 yards away from me as I'm floating down this Creek. I was like, crap. And so I, I floated, I just kept floating. They kind of looked at me and I just ducked down and just let myself float all the way to where I wanted to go. And so my plan was to float past them about a hundred yards, um, not spook them or anything. And hit the tree line, get in the woods and just try to call them in from the woods. Well, when I got to the woods, everything was underwater. Like a week before it was not underwater. And now all of a sudden everything had like five feet of water in it, of standing water. So it was basically just a swamp. And so I was like, crap. So I just got, got my kayak and like just kind of kayaked through the woods, through this water and ended up on the field that they were at. And the water actually went halfway into this field. Um, so the turkeys were already gone. Like I, I'd made kind of a lot of racket getting through the woods because there was a bunch of briars. It wasn't a swamp all the time. It was just when the water got to the certain level. And so there was a lot of briars and like brush and stuff that I was getting hung up on. So I made kind of a lot of racket getting through it. But I figured they wouldn't go far. And I just, so basically what I did, I got my camera uh, netting, the netting that I use for my camera to kind of make it a little blind and put it all on the front of my boat. I hung a GoPro up, I turned on my, my uh, camera, my GoPro on my gun barrel and I let out a short little yelp and the turkeys gobbled just right off the field. And I just sat there in my little ground blind kayak right on the wood line and shot a bird. Uh, I called him into the field and shot him right there from the boat. And, uh, <laughs> oh, dude. Epic stuff. That is sick. It was, it was pretty legit. Like I've had some, I've had some cool, some really cool hunts uh, based around the kayak kind of, you know, like that. But that one was, up there as far as like uniqueness and being able to get it all on camera as good as I could. Like I said, like it, I didn't have my main camera out because I was in the water and I didn't want to knock it in the water or anything. Um, but I did have my GoPros and stuff. And, uh, so that was, that was a pretty sweet hunt. I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to send you this picture while we're talking about it. I'm going to send you this picture. So I I took a really sweet picture um, of it where I, you can see my boat 
my kayak is in the middle of this this field where I killed the bird at because I, I could paddle it halfway through the field, which is pretty sweet. That is sweet. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely it's definitely added a lot of creativity to the way that I hunt. Um, but also getting back into those places where a lot of these deer, like you said, when you can get back in deep, they're not nearly as pressured. And so these deer just, they have not, I've hunted it now for five years like this. And a lot of these spots are spots that I go to often, um, where I killed my buck at last week. Uh, it's a spot that I've never hunted, but it was also 4.9 miles away from the boat launch. Um, and I, I did that in the morning. So there's not a lot of people getting back there. That is um, insane. Yeah, it took it took a good hour and a half, and I have a little motor on my kayak too. Um, and even with that, you can't like even if you have like a a forty horse motor or something, like you cannot go fast in foggy water. You just can't. Like people think that they could, you can't. No, if, you can't. If you can't, yeah. see, if you can't see five feet in front of you, then it's hard to navigate on in the dark water. So I just uh, took, it, took it slow, and it was definitely daylight by the time I got set up. But that spot's not been hunted. Golly, I, I don't know when the last time it got hunted was because I'm not the one. I'm not hunting it. I can imagine nobody else is. Yeah, um, very few people, yeah. if anybody, are going. I mean, five right. miles and is a long ways. That day, that day. This is the first time I've hunted it. That day, I had a hot doe come through that morning and uh, missed an opportunity at the biggest buck I've seen in the woods, like on the hoof. The, it was so big. Um, and he, I was hunting with my rifle. It was actually the first day I'd, I'd taken out my rifle for the season. And uh, I had the buck, uh, a disto- hot doe came through. And I knew she was hot, man. Like I was just being an idiot. I was just—it was just a stupid mistake on my part. And this doe came through, and I so I got my camera, and I'm like watching this doe. And she walked by me at like 10 yards, and her tail was up. She was trotting, and I knew that she was hot. Like I knew there was a buck behind her, the way that she was acting. And my dumb butt was just filming her and not paying any attention. So she gets behind me. Um, walks from in front of me all the way behind me, catches my walk-in scent and like jolts and starts running back the way that she came. And as I'm watching her run back, as she gets in front of me, 50 yards standing right there is the biggest buck that I've ever seen in the woods. And he moves his head, sees her runs and hightails it out of there. And he was probably standing right there in front of me at 50 yards for 30 seconds. Hmm. And um, and I'm sitting there with a 30 out six more than capable of killing him right there. And I just screwed it up. <laughs> I was so mad. And I actually, I had a trail camera that I had hung up there at the beginning of November. And, um, I wanted to know it was back there. So I took that trip one afternoon just to hang that trail camera. And he actually walked by it, chasing her that morning, 30 seconds before he came to me. Uh, and when I checked it, I could get a good look at him. He was just a toad, man. Just absolutely huge. Damn it. And, uh, and so I missed that opportunity, but I ended up being able to kill this other buck about 30 minutes later. He came, uh, and I figured it would probably happen with a hot doe that early in the rut. I figured a hot doe would bring another buck by me. But um, 
I mean, that's just a good example of the, the type of spots that I'm being able to find and get into. My first sit going in there, I saw the biggest buck I've ever seen and ended up killing a great, a great buck, you know, after that. And it's just most guys in Alabama are not having that type of experience for sure. Yeah, I mean, you're killing, I mean, great bucks for even guys up here, you know what I mean? You're doing it on a consistent basis down there. So I knew that there had to be something to it. And it sounds like you're just doing kind of what we talked to Dan Infault, you know, just going where people aren't going, you yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. that's where these bucks are going to daylight, you know what I mean? Seems super simple, but it's really hard it to find that spot, you know what I mean? But with a kayak but- and with that much ground – I think you can. I feel like, especially with a kayak, if you can, if you can get back there, away from the people, you know, you you just eliminated all the people that we would say, you know, aren't going to cross the ravine. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if you can do at least that work, it, it's going to improve your odds. Yeah, he's going. He's going five miles deep. Yeah, I mean, five I mean, miles that's... is a long ways. You know, what <laughs> way I mean, way out there. Yeah, that's way out there. So. Yeah, and and there's a couple things you know that I think are important. Um, like I I scout and I cyber scout more than anything. I onyx scout a lot because I know what I'm looking for. If and but there's some there's some aspects that you really gotta start looking at if if somebody's gonna start doing this. You have to make sure you're going into a place that nobody can walk to uh, from any public road. Um, I won't waste my time. If I know that there's a road within a mile of a spot, I'm just not going to go there. I'm not going to waste my time there. I might be missing out on some deer, but I have plenty of land that I can, that I have yet to step foot on that I've got in the back of my mind that is not accessible by anybody unless they have access to the private land that it borders. So I'm finding these landlocked slash waterlocked places that are just out there they're public and anybody can go to them but there's no way to get to them other than by water that's the only way to get to them and so almost every spot that i'm hunting does not have any public road um i've got a couple of spots i've got one spot in in specific one area that um there is a walk-in trail it's actually where my dad killed the buck yesterday and and i call this area kill hill because i have killed six bucks off of this hillside um, in the last five years. So almost every year I see a deer die on that, whether it's me or my dad. And uh, dad's now killed two. So there's been seven killed. I've killed five and he's killed two. So there's been seven killed on this in this same hillside. And um, there is a trail to get to it, but there's a big giant like ditch with a, uh, with a, um, a bluff which is basically a cliff drop off so people can't get there to this spot from the walk-in area and then there's another spot where there's a private like gated neighborhood where people can't it's not public access so if somebody lives in that neighborhood they could hunt this area but if they don't live in that neighborhood they can't get into the neighborhood to be able to access it so i still continue to see deer there it gets very little pressure and that's probably probably as far as deer, like I can always depend on that spot to see deer. And uh, it's just, it's super cool. And then, you know, but most of my spots have nothing. I mean, they're just little tiny, you know, 40 acres to 100 acre spots, um, little chunks of public. And you hear about it out west, like you've got 
uh, in Wyoming, you've got a bunch of landlocked pieces that nobody can get to. So the private land just uses it like it's their own. Um, and that's, that's the places that I'm keying in on. That's the places where I'm hunting. And honestly, in the, the time that I've hunted, I've never had somebody walk up to me. It, I've never seen not a ton of sign of people. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, my hunting style is a little bit different from the average guy. So uh, I'm looking for very specific terrain features, vegetation features, and that really separates me even from the guys that are hunting by boat that are using the same areas. Um, they may be in the same vicinity at some point, but they're not hunting the same spots most of the time because I'm looking for something really specific. And um, and that's work, man. Like I, it worked quick this year. This year, I, I mean, it was it felt like every time I walked in the woods, I was seeing what I wanted to see. I was seeing something that I would be happy enough shooting. So um, I'm still kind of developing, you know, the style and and the system, and we'll see next year if it works out the same way. But um, man, this year it it absolutely just crushed. It was so much fun. Yeah, you quick. definitely definitely got her going, got her down. That's why I wanted to talk to you about it and kind of, you know, I know there's some other guys that maybe can utilize this and think about how they might be able to access something different by water. And I feel like a lot of people talk about doing it, but not a lot of people do it. You know what I mean? And maybe they do it once mm-hmm. or twice, and it's just a lot of work. You know what I mean? You got to wake up earlier. You're going to have to pack a trailer. You have to figure out how to haul all your stuff on this. And if you do flip, not only getting wet, you're losing your bow, all your camo's wet, your backpack, if you got filming gear, all that's gone. There's a lot of risk for reward there, you know what I mean? So you got to get a good yeah. system down and understand what you're doing. But if you can, like you, um, definitely can lead to success, you know, success because you're you're proving it every year, you know, getting in there and, and killing these giant bucks where giant bucks aren't supposed to be. Yeah. And you're you're exactly right. The system is everything. You know, um, when you are doing something that has a lot of moving parts, you've got to have a system. So um, I tell this to new guys, new saddle hunters, especially Um, when guys first first get into a tree saddle. It seems like there's ropes everywhere and you just got so many moving parts and it's hard to get a system down. So people are like, man, this stuff is so frustrating. There's so much stuff. Well, try doing saddle hunting with a, with self-filming and kayak access. Like you have to have everything down by muscle memory. Like you just have to know this is how I'm doing it. And it takes a lot of practice. takes a lot of time. Um, man, if my system's thrown off even a little bit, it screws me up. Like when I walk in like out some out of state hunts that I do where I don't use a kayak and I just do walk in, I have locked my keys in my vehicle so many times because my system is just thrown off. And like, it, it sounds really stupid, but everything that I've been used to doing is all of a sudden different because I'm not using a kayak anymore. So I just forget my keys in my truck and I can't explain it. It's just, it, it's happened way too many times to just be a coincidence. Um, and if like, you lose, if you forget your release, 4.9 miles, I mean, you're not like, <laughs> ah, shit, going to turn around, <laughs> going to yeah, save the exactly. day, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, it, it, so you have to have, you have to have a system from basically the time you wake up, which I wake up, uh, the day that I was telling you about where I went in 4.9, that day I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning. So 
when you wake up at two, you pretty much have to know exactly what the rest of your morning is going to look like. Like you, you can't leave a lot of room for guessing. Like I'm going to do this. I'm going to get up, make sure I have all this in order. And you lay it like everything has to be a system. And I am the most unsystems person in in my job. I am not. I don't know about that, man. (laughs) You never met me, bro. (laughs) I'm, I'm saying like, I like, I'm the dirt. I'm dirty. My truck is a mess. My room is my office that I'm in right now is a mess. Like I'm so unorganized, but I mean, you would get along real good, brother. (laughs) Yeah. I just, yeah, I'm just, I know what I'm, I know what I'm looking for and I know what I'm doing. And so I'm just a little more organized. Yeah. I just, I just feel like, is this a priority? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hit the shit. Hit the back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, is this a priority? Nope. <laughs> I got a lot of this shit going on right it's now. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> I like to live on the edge. I got deer to kill. Like, yes, I... <laughs> exactly. I got deer to kill, kids to take care of, and I got to show up to work every now and then to get paid. That's what I got to do in life. That's it. That's all yeah. I got to do. That, that... That's how yeah. I'm messing up. Yeah, that's how I'm messing up right here. <laughs> yeah, right here. stop being so organized, bro. Stop overthinking everything. Yeah. Messing up right yep. here. Your truck needs to look like mine. <laughs> <laughs> it was there for a hot minute, yeah. <laughs> dude. It was bad. My truck's a mess, but I know where everything is. Exactly. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, it's right here. Just dig through the shit. You're fine, <laughs> bro. <laughs> it's in there. It's in there somewhere. Uh, well, man, we appreciate you coming on. We don't waste too much of your night going on here. Um, it's 10 o'clock. We're after 10 o'clock now. So we appreciate you coming on and uh, let the listeners know where they can find your brand and uh, where they can listen to your podcast. Yeah. So um, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's been a blast. I love, I love doing podcasts when I don't have to be the one hosting and I can just talk and not have to worry about anything. That's the best. So um, you can find the Southern ground, hunting podcast uh we're part of the sportsman's nation network so you can obviously find it there on that that feed on anywhere you find podcasts spotify uh itunes google play any of that stuff Um, but you can also just search southern ground hunting and i have uh my own feed my own specific feed where you can just get my stuff and you can find it there uh i'm on facebook and instagram at southern ground hunting and then on YouTube, you just find Southern Ground Hunting, and uh, and that's where you'll find everything. I've actually, when you guys called me, I was I was working on this video of my last buck, and uh, and then I've got um, the video of the buck my dad killed yesterday. That is pretty dang good. It's probably going to be the best video you've ever seen of a spike. Spike was our victim, and uh, so we made it work, dude. We got freaking drone footage. We got all kinds of stuff. We went all out for this this spike. And uh, it was really cool. But so we got a couple of videos that are coming. We may have some late season Tennessee stuff, but uh, I've got probably three years worth of content on there now. So you can check it out on YouTube. It's always fun to have another guest on, let him flow, feel his, you know, get it out there. Let him talk about, you know, what he wants to talk about. Because on this show, he's trying to provide content for other people. And this is what he loves doing. But all his listeners have probably, you know, heard him talk about it. Just like us talk about the same stuff over and over. the same struggle we come into. Yeah. yeah. You know, you got stuff you want to talk about. But you're like, how much do my listeners want to hear me talk about stuff? Yeah, I feel like when we go on different shows, you know, we can spread our wings a little bit more Mm -hmm. and adventure out so yeah you know definitely get out there we really appreciate parker for coming on our show um if you guys haven't listened to his podcast check it out that's something that's 
even if you are from the Midwest, you can definitely learn something from these Southern guys. And like I said, he's just a solid dude. Um, he's doing the right thing with his family, you know, prioritizing stuff. And uh, even his, you know, co-host taking his kid out hunting, sharing a lot of stories about yeah. that. Really cool. So we uh, really enjoyed him coming on. And uh, he's definitely another guy that's trying to leave a legacy with his kids and always do the right thing, like we say. And uh, there's still... Uh, a little bit of season left guys <laughs> if you got the effort get out there and just enjoy a hunt white till legacy's out <laughs>